There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Thank you, New Hampshire! Hello, America. I'm Amy Klobuchar, and I will beat Donald Trump. And thanks to you, a campaign that some said shouldn't be here at all has shown that we are here to stay. We just heard from the first two of 50 states. Two of them. Not all the nation, not half the nation, not a quarter of the nation, not 10%. Two. Two. Now I come from, that's the opening bell. On this episode of Newt's World, this week we watched the Democratic primary upset in New Hampshire, with Bernie Sanders winning, Pete Buttigieg coming in second, and Amy Klobuchar coming in third, leaving many to wonder what the future holds for Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Joe Biden has had a number of gaffes along the way, including his remark to a college student last Sunday, calling her a lying dog-faced pony soldier that have led to his downfall. Some speculate he may bounce back in South Carolina, but I doubt it. I've known him for many years. This is his third presidential race. And at 77 years old, I don't think he has the comeback kid in him. The wild card in this presidential race is the former mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg. He's already spent $300 million on media. Bloomberg is worth almost $62 billion. So spending a couple million to blanket both TV and digital media has no impact on his personal finances. He has the ability to run a presidential race without raising a dime. And some would even say to buy the election. Given the extraordinary nature of the 2020 election, we'll continue to cover it. This is the first in a series 
of podcast episodes about Election 2020. Every presidential race is unique, and you'll know afterwards what the particular patterns were, but you don't really know going in. People tend to forget that Bill Clinton didn't actually win New Hampshire. He just did a lot better than people expected, and so he got to be called the comeback kid, a term which is now being applied to Amy Klobuchar. It's a little hard to understand why she's the comeback kid, except that the news media likes her and they like having fancy things to say about people. The fact is that it was in New Hampshire that began to be obvious how really powerful Donald Trump was going to be. It was in New Hampshire that all of a sudden Hillary had a huge problem and was faced with the reality that she might not be able to put the race away as quickly as she thought. So every one of these races is different and unique. I remember when George H.W. Bush ran for re-election and Patrick Buchanan, who was really angry because he felt that Bush was not conservative enough and that Bush had broken his word on taxes, Buchanan got a remarkably good vote in New Hampshire and really made him significantly hurt President Bush and made Buchanan for a brief period of time a really serious national player. Similarly, if you go back a good ways, you'll find in earlier years that it was a write-in vote for Eisenhower in 1952 which began to really build a momentum, that was in New Hampshire, which began to really build a momentum for Ike to run for president and to resign as a general, come back home from NATO, and become a candidate. So these primaries can play significant roles in interesting ways. They're very different. The Iowa caucus is an old tradition in Iowa. They treasure the idea that all these politicians are going to show up, go to every small town in the state, bring all the reporters with them, spend a fair amount of tourist money, and make Iowa important for a brief period. Of course, the other 49 states deeply resent that and want to know why Iowa gets to be first. Originally, the thought was that if you had a couple of small states in Iowa and New Hampshire, are both small, you allowed underfunded candidates, outsiders, people who weren't massively wealthy, to have a shot at least at trying to break through and become important. And you saw a little of that happen with Amy Klobuchar, who had a pretty good night in Iowa and then a great night in New Hampshire for somebody who was an underdog. Now, remember, she came in third in New Hampshire, and that was treated almost like she'd won the state. She didn't win the state, and she's still, I think, very much an underdog. But it gives you a flavor that a senator from Minnesota who doesn't have the kind of money that either Judge or Sanders has, and certainly doesn't have the kind of money that Bloomberg has, nonetheless could work hard, visit every newspaper, and New Hampshire in particular is a state that has many small newspapers, each with their own editorial board, each with their own readership. And so I think that what she did was really commendable and impressive. It certainly makes her a potential candidate for vice president, and depending on whether or not she can turn rapidly enough to raising enough money to really make a difference, she could begin to be a serious competitor but at the present time, she's probably not. I don't think she has a particularly good organization in Nevada. I don't think she has any organization in South Carolina. And then comes Super Tuesday. And in a way, I really want today to talk with you about Super Tuesday in the light of what's happened in Iowa and in New Hampshire and what will probably happen in Nevada and in South Carolina. You know, Super Tuesday is the first time 
you have a lot of states the same day, including the two biggest states in the country, California and Texas. California alone is so expensive. To try to run a statewide ad in California would cost more than the entire Klobuchar campaign has had so far. It's just a huge state. There's one player who clearly can play in every single state, and that's Michael Bloomberg, who's worth an estimated $62 billion, has already committed to spending at least a billion of it, has hired 2,100 field workers, 1,700 in the field, 400 in New York, giving all of them contracts through December so they have clear stability, paying them very well. And anybody who does not think Bloomberg is going to be a serious contender, I think is just out of touch with reality. He currently, for example, is the front runner in Arkansas, which is a very inexpensive state to advertise in, and he can afford to advertise everywhere. And the result is that he's going to be competitive in places where the other candidates haven't even showed up yet and don't have the resources to show up. With the exception of Sanders, who does have a nationwide network and who has the largest number of small donors of any candidate and therefore can go back to him every month by email and can raise millions every single month because these people can give $10, 20 30 $40 every month. 30 or $40 times a million people is a lot of money. So Sanders can play in a lot of places, not as many as Bloomberg, but a lot. And he's had all of this period of running for office. In a sense, Hillary made him famous enough that he kept building on that fame for the last four years. And so he is a serious competitor. By contrast, Buttigieg is a new player. He also has a pretty good finance base, not as good as Sanders, and certainly not as good as Bloomberg. But he's faced now with a sudden explosion of the campaign. Goes from being one town hall meeting at a time to being a nationwide operation that's very tricky and very, very complicated. Coming up, why the presidential campaign of former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg could be a game changer. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Here's how I see it beginning to play out. Bloomberg has a real race with himself. And by that I mean that whether it is comments about redlining, where he said if only we had redlined a lot more houses, we wouldn't have had the housing crash at the end of the last decade, or his comments about stop and frisk, which were given at Aspen several years ago when he was not a candidate, but would certainly come across as very demeaning to the African-American and the Latino communities, and raises in those communities the whole sense that stop and frisk was inherently racist and inherently harassed innocent people. And so one of Bloomberg's challenges is that the real Bloomberg is going to be very different from the television campaign Bloomberg. And what he wants us to do is pay attention to the Bloomberg commercial and not to the Bloomberg reality. Anyone hear the slogan, Mike will get it done? Okay, let me tell you what the it is. One good example is that he made a substantial amount of his money dealing with the dictatorship in communist China. And I know for a fact from people who were involved that Bloomberg News began to investigate corruption in China. They were given a very clear warning by the Chinese government that they would punish Bloomberg financially unless they quit covering any kind of corruption. Michael Bloomberg looked at that and said, let me get this straight. I could be noble and moral and I could cover corruption and be a hero, or I could just get a lot richer. He chose richer. So they closed down all of their investigative reporting. Several people resigned from Bloomberg News over this because they saw it as caving into Chinese blackmail. And so what you're going to see happening is there will be a massively financed Bloomberg campaign. And so the people who never see politics, never see politicians, never watch Fox or MSNBC or CNN, they're now having this politician in their space on their terms, trying to convince them that he's okay. So on the one front, you're going to have the saga of the Bloomberg campaign. On the other front, you're going to have the reality of Mike Bloomberg, who does have a public record for a long time, has lots of things out there in terms of opposition research, and in many ways is not very desirable. I mean, there's a reason when he ran for mayor for the third time that he had to spend $200 a vote, which I think is the all-time record in New York. But it is truly a remarkable example. He didn't win it because he was a charismatic leader. He didn't win it because the city was in love with him. He won it because he drowned his opponents. And even then, he didn't win it by a very big margin. His gamble is really simple. He can afford to campaign everywhere simultaneously. And that's what he's going to do. Nobody else, not even Sanders, can afford to campaign everywhere simultaneously. 
And so Bloomberg is going to try to break through in enough places. By the end of Super Tuesday, can the other candidates take their much scarcer resources and channel them into specific states to target getting delegates? For example, on Super Tuesday, Minnesota has a caucus. And if Amy Klobuchar makes sure that she sweeps the caucus, she'll pick up a chunk of delegates. And she probably can beat either Sanders or Bloomberg in her home state, particularly given the quality of coverage she's getting and the way people are saying nice things about her. Does somebody go into Oklahoma, which is a relatively inexpensive state, or do they decide to compete with Bloomberg in Arkansas? You can imagine different places. Do they begin to detect a weakness? If this combination of favoring redlining, which means basically not giving mortgages to minorities, and favoring stop and frisk, which he has now apologized for, but as recently as 2015 at the Aspen Institute, he was explaining why it was totally appropriate and rational. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one MO. They didn't just take the description zero out and put it up all the time. They are male minorities that's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. She's so going to be one of them. Spend the money for a lot of cops in the street. Put those cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So this is one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes. That's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way she got the guns out of their kids' hands is to throw them against the wall and frisk them. So does all that come together in a way which allows for huge weakness with African Americans and with Latinos? If that turns out to be the case, somebody may be able to go into, for example, Houston and Dallas or go into Los Angeles and beat Bloomberg despite the propaganda because people may decide they just don't like him. I think that could be Bloomberg's challenge. It may well be that in the end, as they get to know him better, they will like him less and less. And if that's true, you can't buy enough advertising to offset that. But that's his gamble. He hopes to be able to drown particularly people who pay no attention to politics. His real marketplace is the voter who doesn't watch Fox, doesn't watch MSNBC, doesn't watch CNN, and who just gets these vague impressions. And so they see Bloomberg 30 times in a week leading up to their primary or their caucus. They go, well, he seems like a nice guy. And that's what he's trying to do. And if you watch, he's steadily rising in the polls. You have to list him as somebody likely to be a contender all the way to the convention. Coming up, I'll explain why Pete Buttigieg reminds me of Beto O'Rourke. Buttigieg is different in my judgment. I actually think that Buttigieg is probably peaked but doesn't know it. The reason I think that is In the end, Buttigieg is remarkably like Beto O'Rourke, who came out of nowhere and looked like he was just fabulous. And then it turned out there wasn't much there. 
and people began to suddenly realize that he looked good, but in fact, he was not real. In an age which really does value authenticity, to be seen as inauthentic is almost the kiss of death, because people just shrug you off. There was a very brief period when Beto O'Rourke looked like he was going to be a very serious contender, and he just disappeared. Well, the same thing's true here. You have in Buttigieg somebody who, at one level, has brilliantly played the news media. He represents sort of the coming out party for the gay rights movement, the fact that he was on the cover of Time with his husband. There is a fairly large number of donors who are just proud of him for that. He's attractive. He's younger. He's been a pretty impressive person. But the truth is, when you listen to him actually talk, he begins to devour his own candidacy. And I'll give you two examples just from this last week. A woman went up to see him and said, I am a pro-life Democrat. And I'm troubled because the way you talk, I'm not sure there's any room in the Democratic Party for somebody who's pro-life. Now, a normal politician would have tried to find a way to appease her and would have said, well, you know, there's some common ground and there are things we can agree on and so forth. Buttigieg did the exact opposite. And he essentially said to her, you know, if you're not pro-choice, you probably aren't a Democrat. Well, that's about 30 or 35 percent of the Democratic Party. And it's clearly not a sustainable position in a general election. Second, he was being interviewed and he said, I would decriminalize heroin. Mayor, you, you not only want to decriminalize marijuana, you want to decriminalize all drug possession. You say that the better answer is incarceration. Uh, I mean, it's rather treatment, not incarceration. Right. That's right. But isn't the fact that it's illegal to have, to possess meth and heroin, doesn't that, at least in some way, the fact that it's illegal, act as a, some deterrent to actually trying it in the first place? Well, I think the main thing we need to focus on is where you have distribution and, and uh, uh, the, the kind of harm that's done there, where, yeah, of course, it's important that it remain illegal, but... But you, uh, well, for, you're, you're, for you would decriminalize it, so it wouldn't be illegal. Possession should not right. be dealt with through incarceration. And, and but you're, you would say that possession of heroin is not illegal? Is not going to be dealt with through incarceration. But your, your, your website says decriminalize. It would yes. not be illegal. Yes, or it could be a misdemeanor. The, the point is not the legal niceties. The point is that we have learned through 40 years of a failed war on drugs that criminalizing addiction doesn't work. Now, there are a lot of people who are for marijuana. There are people who might be concerned about certain other drugs. But the pro-heroin market in this country is really tiny, and the anti-heroin market is really big. And as you watch him, he's a moderate in temperament and personality. But in fact, he is a classic radical on the left. And when you watch the details of what he stands for, he's rapidly going to become, I think, less and less survivable because he's up against the real deal in Sanders and he's up against the real money in Bloomberg. Now, by contrast, I think Biden is essentially gone. I think the only circumstance I can imagine where Biden makes a comeback is in the two debates that are coming up, which he has a shot before South Carolina, 
if he could go into those two debates and he could dominate the debates, stay in charge, be aggressive, make the case why the others should not be the nominee, I think he could bounce back. I also think, having watched Biden now for his entire career, that he's almost certainly not capable of doing that. That, first of all, the format doesn't work very well for that kind of a debate because everybody's going to be talking and the moderator's going to be talking, and it's going to be very hard for Biden to make a coherent case. Second, Biden is not naturally a fighter. He's a nice guy. He's a pleasant guy. You meet him and you like him and you want to have a drink with him. But he's not the kind of guy who is going to get into a brass knuckles fight. And if he doesn't get into a brass knuckles fight, I think he's gone. And I think he's gone because he doesn't feel like he's really in the race. I mean, when he went into New Hampshire and said as one of his opening comments, I had a bad night in Iowa and my guess is I'm going to have a bad night here. Why start on the negative? And I think it was that kind of attitude which ultimately got him to run fifth. I think if he'd gone in there aggressively, made his case, been seen on offense, he probably would have come in third and would have passed both Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. But as it was, he's like watching a balloon shrink. I mean, he's losing air every week. And now you're going to get into the when does he get out kind of stories and people are going to be going after him all the time. I thought last week one of the things he did that was among the weirdest things of this whole campaign was when the young girl, college student, asked him how he was going to explain the losses in Iowa. And he said, have you ever been to a caucus? And she said, yes. And he said, you're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. So you're arguably the candidate with the greatest advantage in this race. You've been the vice president. You weren't burdened down by the impeachment trials. So or in the participation. So how do you explain the performance in Iowa? And why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? It's a good question. Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a little bit confusing in Iowa. And I literally went on Twitter and asked, what is a dog-faced pony soldier? And we did some research. There was a movie in 1952 with Tyrone Power about the Canadian mounted police in the Northwest, and it was called The Pony Soldier. I couldn't find any reference to a dog-faced pony soldier. This guy was the vice president of the United States. He insults a college student who was only asking him, I thought, a pretty decent question, doesn't answer her question, calls her a name, and it's a name which is incomprehensible. And I think that's the problem that Biden's got. In the end, he can't hit major league pitching. He was fine in Delaware, which is a small state with little competition. He was fine as the vice president to Obama, because his job basically was not to screw up and stay in Obama's shadow. But now, once again, for the third time, he's out on his own. The first two runs for president ended badly. The first time because he stole a speech from Neil Kinnock, the British labor leader at the time, in which Kinnock described very emotionally growing up in a Welsh coal mining village. And Biden just took that speech and changed it into Scranton, Pennsylvania. Reporters figured out that Biden wasn't Neil Kinnock 
and literally he was humiliated into getting out of the race. He ran a second time and, and did so badly in Iowa that he just dropped out. So we've never seen Biden as a successful candidate campaigning as an underdog, being sharp and aggressive and on offense, and I don't think we're going to. So in my own calculation, by Super Tuesday, the race is going to be Bloomberg, Sanders, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar. You'll notice I dropped Elizabeth Warren because she came in fourth in New Hampshire. She was unable to translate being known into getting votes. I think it's very hard to imagine why she's going to do dramatically better. And that makes it very hard to imagine why she's going to be able to raise any money. And that means that by Super Tuesday, for all practical purposes, she'll be out of the race. The fact is, when you start getting down into getting no delegates, you pretty rapidly look very anemic. And that's what happened to both Elizabeth Warren and to Joe Biden. I should say one other thing about how this process evolves. The news media always moves as a pack. It always looks for the way thing. That's why for a while Beto O'Rourke was the charming, wonderful person. That's why even though she came in third, not first, all sorts of news stories cited Klobuchar as the big winner because she had performed better than expected. Sanders, who got more votes in Iowa, but because of the very screwed up Iowa system, got fewer delegates than Buttigieg, but actually had more votes then came back and had more votes in New Hampshire. And most of the elite media just doesn't want to call him the winner. So Buttigieg won because he did so much better than expected. Klobuchar won because her debate performance was wonderful and she got third place. And somehow the media keeps trying to say, well, Sanders in winning didn't win big enough, but he won. And he will have delegates. And that's a key part of what this is all about. So there's another phase coming, and that is Sanders will clearly keep raising money because people who are ideologically committed to him are really committed to him. It's almost the same passion that Trump has. Buttigieg, I think, for a while is going to keep raising money, and if he performs better than I think he will, he could become a fairly serious player. Klobuchar now has an opportunity to get into the game. Biden and Warren will gradually disappear, and Bloomberg will show up in full force spending a billion dollars. So you really have a four-person race. I explore the topic of money in our presidential elections in NewtsInnerCircle.com. It is a subscription service where I offer insights and commentary on the issues that matter to me most. Join today at NewtsInnerCircle.com. Next, why 2020 is one of the most significant elections of our lifetime. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Here's where the Democratic Party rules get fascinating. The Republicans had deliberately adopted a winner-take-all model that pretty well guaranteed that you would not have a brokered convention because if you won a state, you got all the delegates. It was a graduated thing, which is the longer the race went on, the more it became winner-take-all. It was really designed to close down the race and get somebody nominated. I don't think when they designed this, they thought that Donald Trump would be the guy who won and I suspect there are times when they sort of wished they did not have winner-take-all because he wasn't winning by a big enough margin that he would have dominated the convention in delegates if it had been proportional. Even if it was a narrow victory, you got all the delegates in a state, he was doing just fine. And he ultimately had the delegates necessary to win against all the other candidates combined. However, the Democrats, partly this comes from the whole... McGovern era reforms, if you get 15% of the vote, you get delegates. Well, first of all, it gives you an incentive to stay in. The challenge for Warren and for Biden is that in New Hampshire, they both fell below 15%, and therefore they weren't getting delegates. And remember, as the field shrinks, the chances of you getting 15% go up because the vote's not being divided among as many people. If you have a number of people capable of getting 15% each and therefore getting delegates, you could pretty easily slide into a brokered convention. And a brokered convention for the Democrats is a particular nightmare because on the second ballot, all of their elite delegates get to vote. This is a model they built in order to give the professional class of politicians extra weight in order to block some ideological nut from dominating the party. The problem is, if Sanders goes into the convention with 45% of the delegates and doesn't get the nomination, 
the party will be torn apart because the left believes firmly that the Democratic National Committee was in favor of Hillary and cheated Sanders in 2016. They're not going to tolerate this happening a second time. You could literally see just an amazing convention. On the other hand, it makes it unlikely that even with all of his money, that Bloomberg is going to get to a solid majority of the delegates. So either he or Sanders will probably have the most delegates, but probably neither will have enough to be a majority. And then you get into maneuvering such as, what should the platform say? The current way this race is evolving, you could have the anti-billionaire wing, which would be Sanders, Buttigieg, and Klobuchar, versus the billionaire wing, which would be Bloomberg. You could have the argument for socialism, which would be Bernie Sanders, and the argument for free markets, which would be Bloomberg, and to some extent Klobuchar and Buttigieg. But you can see how all of a sudden the convention could be the first true open convention since 1952, when Adlai Stevenson emerged at a time when nobody thought it was possible. So I think that this is going to be fascinating. I think that it's well worth paying attention. You're seeing living history. I recommend to everybody who wants a deeper, better understanding that they get copies of Theodore White's two great Making of the Presidents, 1968 and 1972. You'll find them amazingly valid and useful today, even though it's a half century later. The trends and the patterns that he was beginning to uncover in that period are still alive and well, and they're captured in part by Bernie Sanders and the left. At the same time, we have never had somebody willing to blatantly and overtly try to buy the presidency on the scale that Bloomberg is, and that's going to lead to all sorts of very interesting debates and attacks, and the opposition research in Bloomberg has only begun, and we will learn a great deal more about him in the next couple of months. Like you, I am looking forward to seeing how this all works out, and I will be reporting again analytically on where I think we are after Super Tuesday. You can read more about the 2020 election, the state of the Democratic race, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Please email me with your comments at newt at newtsworld.com. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. On the next episode of Newt's World, the Tuskegee Airmen were the only African-American pilots in combat in the Army Air Forces during World War II. The Tuskegee Airmen overcame segregation and prejudice to become one of the most highly respected fighter groups of World War II. They proved conclusively that African-Americans could fly and maintain sophisticated combat aircraft. The Tuskegee Airmen's achievements, together with the men and women who supported them, paved the way for full integration of the U.S. military. They are the subject of our next episode. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.